it's crazy we get to do this. Uh, and what's also crazy is I get to do it with her. Um, so this is my beautiful wife, Madon. Uh, if you haven't met a better half, then you need to meet her. <laughs> she is truly a gift. Um, it occurred to me last night, I just jumped right into kind of my personal story. And several of you asked me now, who or where, where do you come from? What's, what's Lubbock, Texas? So <laughs> let, me, let me back up. Thank you for the grace. Um, so I do work for an organization called Beat and Bow Companies. I get the chance to show up to that place every day. I am on the executive leadership team, a board member, executive director. Um, I've been there a little over seven and a half years. Uh, it's a divine appointment. Some of you will understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, I would never have dreamed that I would be doing what we're doing today. 20 years in my first, what I call my first career in banking, and there's nothing wrong with banking, but God pulled me out of that and put me in a home builder called Beatenbow Homes about seven and a half years ago. Beatenbow Companies has multiple businesses in its umbrella. We are serious about business. Um, we'll build about 2,000 homes and close about 2,000 homes this year in West Texas. We build in four different cities. Um, so we're serious about business. Um, I could go on and on about that. We have a regenerative farm. We have a, 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 an event center. If some of you have been to Lubbock, Texas, to one of our workshops, you've, you've experienced that event center. We have weddings and corporate events for lots of businesses in the city. Uh, we have a bakery and a cafe. Hotam is helping us figure out how to operate that thing right now from afar, which we're really blessed by Hotam and Chelsea investing in us. Um, we have a title company, and we're about to start a mortgage company. So we're serious about business, but we're serious about it not being our business. Uh, it has the name Beatenbow on it, and Rick and Ron Beatenbow started this thing 30 years ago this year. And some of you may know Rick is in the battle of his life. Uh, October 26th last year, he was stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis. And he's, he's living today in a breathing testimony of God's miraculous work. And yet he's still working through that. He's still battling through it. Yesterday was a, a series of pancreatitis events. And so he's, he's a little under the weather, but man, he is energetic and he's excited and he is well. And that's a testimony to God's grace. You know, each of us have a numbered set of days, and I don't live under some concern about what that number is, but I've also not faced my own mortality in the same way that some have. And there may be somebody sitting in this room that just needed that word of encouragement, that no matter what looks, no matter the circumstance of today, there is hope for a future. And that future can be here, and it can be look, it look a lot like it does today, or it could be vastly different than it looks like today, but there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus. It's not in business. It's not in church. It's, not, it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. That is the source of our hope. And the film you just watched is something that is a part of the Beaten Bow Company's family. We call it Kingdom at Work. You might see this logo. This is not a business. We're serious about business, but this is our ministry. Every one of those businesses is a marketplace ministry, but this is our gift to the marketplace. It's telling the story of what God's done in us and through us and sharing that hopefully as inspiration with other business people, not just owners, but people that show up in the marketplace like each of us sitting here today. And so we want that to be an inspiration. And so we capture those stories. We have an amazing film production team. I get to travel all over the world with them and capture these stories. And we share them not as Look what they did, but look what God did. So can we say, bless God for that? Like amazing story of transformation in people and how they can be used in the marketplace to bring the kingdom everywhere their feet step. And you know what? That's not different for any of us sitting right here. So I want that to be inspiration for you. You and I have the opportunity to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever our feet take us, into our homes, into our place of business, into somebody else's place of business, into our local fellowship. We need painters, we need handymen, we need dental hygienists, we need lawyers. We need the kingdom of God in every sphere of culture. 
And that's what we want to talk about today. But before we do, I want Madon to give, the, give an opportunity to, one, introduce herself, but also introduce our family. Okay. So I am Madon Cunningham. You, it's not Madonna. I know it sounds similar, but spelled differently. Um, and I, it's just a unique name. So um, this is our family. We have four boys. As you can see, I have a whole basketball team with five of them. She has five boys, technically. Yes. I'm just right. the oldest. For sure. <laughs> so we have Mason, who's 22, and he lives in Kansas City, is working there. Justin is 20. He's in college right now. Brandon on this far is 16. He's a junior in high school now. And then Jackson is 13. And they have actually grown since this picture. It was back in January. They're all taller than me and about as tall as, tall as Walter now. So, yeah, we have a basketball team for sure. Um, we're just blessed to be here. I actually am a teacher. That's who I've been. I've taught uh, fourth grade for five years, the last five years, and I homeschooled my kids for a while. And God said to me, Two years ago, he said, you're not going to be teaching anymore. And I said, okay, well, not, you know, and I didn't know why. But then he gave me new direction where I do get to teach with Walter now a little bit. So it's been really fun. So I'm not used to teaching and talking to adults as much as to children. So I might be picturing you like your 10-year-old, so you're fine. It's better than picturing you without clothes on. (laughs) It's true. I have the mic. He can't take it away. It's hard. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? We're talking about being made for community. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> community has a double meaning here, and we purposely want to start with this. We're, we're in community, whether it's in a, a relationship with a spouse, with our family, maybe in a life group, in a, in a local fellowship, maybe here at Living Stones, but we're also made to be in the community. You hear me? Yeah. We're not just made to be in a holy huddle. We're made to be sent into the community. And what happens at Living Stones is equipping Mm -hmm. so that you can go into the community and make a difference. So it's kind of like the locker room, right, babe? Yeah, it's like like the locker room. She's got five boys. We often talk about a basketball analogy, right? So when we're in the locker room, we're talking about what plays we're going to run, what's the offense look like, what's the defense look like. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we got to leave the locker room, right? Right. I mean, church, we're there, we're getting prepared in our home, we're preparing our boys, we're trying to, we're just, it's all the preparation, but we've got to get out onto the court right at some point. You got to get out on the field at some point and fight the battle and, and, and bring the kingdom. And so today we want to talk about this idea of community and what it looks like under the, under this idea of Avodah, right? Our work, our worship and our serving is all the same. It is worship. It is sacred if it's done for his purposes. So we have some choices to make, right? Last night we talked about which chair is is our heart in. And we have to understand that posture of our heart before we can then go, okay, now how do I make that real when I show up on Tuesday morning? So let's begin with this idea of community. Don't trust Madonna and I, let's trust the word of God because that's where we should all be rooted and grounded, right? Is back in his word. So then God said, let us make, okay, that's interesting, right? Every other creative statement, he said, let there be. But here, when he's talking about creating you and me, he says, let us make man in our. Do you notice how it switched to a community? It's not let me, it's let us. So right in the very first words of scripture, we see God is community. So this isn't a new idea. Let's say today it's a renewed idea. Can we commit to a renewed idea? A renewed mind, a renewed idea of what is community. In Genesis 2.18, in the first half of this, it says, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be, what? Alone. We should do this together. And I know that could be different for each of us. It might not be with a spouse. It might be with a, a sibling. It might be with a friend. It might be with a partner. It might be with a family member. Who is the community that you've been invited to be a part of? And I'm going to put that in the context of the place that you show up every Tuesday. I like Tuesdays for some reason. I don't know why. Talk to me about that later. Maybe I need to lay on a couch and figure that out. I don't know. 
Um, so today we want to talk about three principles of a kingdom community. Love, honor, and the word shalom. If you haven't realized it by now, I love Hebrew words. I love Israel. I actually think that's my home. Now, I don't live there, but I love Israel. We've been once this year, we're going back in about 30 days. We take groups of people, and it's in our company, we call them vision trips. We take people from our company on tri trips to kind of capture a vision. But you know what? I'd do that for free. In fact, I'd pay for people to go because what happens in Israel is the Bible, the, the thing that we read every day in our English language, it just comes to life. It becomes living color. And I can't explain that, so don't ask me. Just join me. Would you go? Let's go together. Okay, maybe not. Maybe 10 o'clock. Let's do that. Love, honor, and shalom. We're going to talk about these three ideas. So what is love? Madon, would you start us out here? Yes, we're all familiar with this verse, right? But do you remember that Jesus, did you recognize that Jesus is the one who said this verse, who spoke this verse, actually? For this is how God, so his father, loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God loved the world. Let's pay attention to that word loved. Jesus is talking. He's talking to Nicodemus. He's just introduced Nicodemus to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. He said two things. He said, you'll enter it. I'm sorry, you'll see it, and then you can enter it. I don't have time to unpack that. Go read John 3. He said two things. He said, you're going to see something, and then you're going to enter it. And then Jesus said, God loved. Okay, so let's pay attention to love there. And then in this verse, John 21, 20, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? So again, there's a word loved. Anytime you see the same word, I've become like a voracious, like Googler, okay? I am not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not a, I'm not a scholar in any way. But I can Google that word and I can figure out what, it was, what its origin was. Now, most translations in the New Testament say they come from the Greek. But I've talked to so many people who believe that Jesus was probably talking in either Aramaic or Hebrew. So I went, what does this word mean? I know what it means in the Greek because I've studied that, but let me go to the Aramaic and look at that. So in Aramaic, these two words are not the same, and I will butcher the pronunciation, but John 3.16, the word loved is chav. In John 21.20, it's racham. Those are different. What's the difference? I'm so glad you asked. Chav is a love that's not necessarily returned. Racham is a completed or returned love. So play along with me for a minute. Let's all go back to our junior high days. I want you to think back in, in junior high. You probably had a crush on someone that you were never going to speak with. They might have been a Hollywood actor or actress. There's a, there's a person in a band, right? I see a couple chuckles. You remember, Right? When you said, I love this person, fill in the blank, you're talking about the first kind of love, chav. Right. You love them, but they may never even know your name, and they're probably not going to. They probably didn't, unless you married a Hollywood actress. <laughs> Praise God if that's what happened. I love it. But they didn't necessarily return that love, did they? So when Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, God loved the world, he loved everyone. He loved each of us sitting here today. And like we talked about yesterday, a part of this seven billion on the, on the earth today are still sitting in chair three apart from God. Mm -hmm. They don't know him. Right. They have not yet even understood that the father loves them and that they could return that love to him. But that's not what he was talking about when he was describing the apostle John. He used a different word. I think he spoke in Aramaic. We can arm wrestle over that, but it was a completed or a returned love. It was a love that was known two-way. It was reciprocated. Both yeah. of them were involved. So when we're talking about community and we say the word love, 
There's an opportunity for us to be in community where people return that love with one to another. That's probably a life group type environment, right? It might be a spouse. It's, it's somewhere where we're probably equally yoked in our faith. And then there's gonna be times when we enter into spaces, maybe on Tuesday morning, where it feels more like a chav. I'm gonna be the hands and feet, mm-hmm. but I may not see that reciprocated in the exact same way. You tracking with me? Right. So loving and being loved are two different things. And as believers, if we're sitting in chair one in a posture of rest, recognizing that we're sons and daughters, kings and queens, I might say, serving the king of kings, wherever he has placed us as a husband or wife, as a mom, as a homeschooler, a homeschool teacher, wherever you go on a daily basis, you get to be the hands and feet. What will you be? Will you be love? Will you be unconditional love? And I think apart from Christ, that's completely impossible. In fact, without Holy Spirit showing up again today, I'm not gonna do that very well right here. To be really, really honest, about 10 minutes before we're leaving the hotel, I wasn't. She didn't have to say it, but I know I was in chair two. My heart's racing. My mind is racing. Y'all, don't pretend like somebody standing on stage has got this all figured out. That's right. We're facing the same battle every day. Will we be honest enough to say we're facing it and can we do that together? Can we do it in community with someone who understands that? And then we would go into the community. Can we do that in a way where somebody goes, what is that? You tracking? We talked about this verse last night. Paul's talking to the church at the ecclesia, I might say. I like that word. The ecclesia at Ephesus. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. A love that may or may not be returned when we walk into the marketplace. may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that's with the body of Christ, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. When we were in Austria this summer, Leif put a little rhythm to this. He's like, rooted and grounded in love. Hey! I can't not say that verse and not hear that little thing in my head. So if I do it, now you know why. And to know the love of Christ... So here's that returned love. We can receive it and we can also return it back to him. That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I want us today to be filled with the fullness. But if I want that more than you want it for you, I don't know what to say. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? And where do you want to take that into the community? And how do you want to take it into the community? I don't know about you, but I want to be a more clear reflection of that love because it's been given to me. And today, may it be so, more so than yesterday, and again tomorrow. Holy Spirit, come, make me more like your son today so that I can extend that to someone. And we also know that Jesus said, when he was challenged by a lawyer, and I'm not looking at a lawyer in this room going, I'm thinking of you when I say that. I'm talking about a Torah teacher somebody that was teaching the law and religiously looking at that as though it was going to make them something. That's the lawyer that was challenging. That was a religious spirit challenging him. That's what we say. And what did Jesus say? He said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us struggle loving ourselves? Yeah, that's the first part, right? There are moments when I struggle immensely with that. I had a dear friend ask me this summer, do you love yourself as much as Jesus loves you? And I chuckled out loud. But wait just a minute. Let's ask it again. Do you love yourself 
as Jesus loves you. If you can't love yourself the way Jesus loves you a little more today, then how will you ever be able to love someone yeah. as yourself? So first of all, we have to experience some healing in our heart. Yeah. We have to say, God, I, I want to love me like you love me, not selfishly. Right. That's, a, that's a distortion of the enemy. Can we just say it right now? That's a distortion. And so we're going to correct that. We're going to have a metaneo moment right now. We're going to change our thinking about that. I can love me without being selfish. It's going to take Holy Spirit doing it. I can't do that in my own self and my own flesh. So God, you have to do that. Will you change my heart to love me a little more today like you love me so that I can then be a more clear reflection? You see how this is working? If I don't love me the way Jesus loves me, I can't love others like I love myself. Or let me say that differently, I can, and it's gonna be selfish. Yeah. I think I just stepped on my own toes. You tracking? Yeah. So love is something that can be received, but it also is something that can be returned. First, vertically and then horizontally, right? Wherever we show up right. and whatever we're doing. Because remember, what you do is not who you are. Right. What you do flows out of who you are, or it can. And so in those moments, you know, how do you love people in your community? How do you love people that you don't even like? Mm. Ouch, right? That happens. I mean, that's real, y'all. We all have people that we just don't like. The personality, the characteristics, things that are happening. It just happens, right? But we're, he still calls us. He didn't say, love the neighbors that are only like you, or only the neighbors that are sweet and kind. No, he said, love your neighbor, regardless of who they are, what they look like, what they think like, as yourself. So what are some practical ways you can do that? You know, whenever you're in the workforce, you're in, you're in your job, what are some ways that you love your neighbors? Are you giving them a smile? I mean, that's an easy way to love somebody, right? Sharing that show, and they're wondering, why is he always smiling all the time, you know? And so then that gives them plants a seed, they can ask. You can give them a hug if you know them halfway well, you know? I mean, I wouldn't recommend that to just everyone, but that is also <laughs> a great way um, to just, you won't realize how many people need hugs. I need hugs, right? Don't you need a hug sometimes? Mm. So really, if, if I think this is all about Holy Spirit prompting you. When you hear a voice in your head that says, go give them a hug, you do it. You obey. So what I'm saying is whatever he says for us to do, we need to obey, right? He says, get up and go talk to that person. You're like, I don't even know that person. He doesn't care. He doesn't need you. He needs you just to be a vessel, right? Just take, be the hands and feet and go to that person and talk to them. You, I mean, it's a cashier at a, at a, when you're checking grocery out at a grocery store, right? It's the bartender or the barista at the Starbucks place, you know, when you're getting coffee. It's just everywhere you go, are you taking the time? What did we say yesterday? Making time, mm -hmm. right, for this. So, you know, in your work, it could be even just going and getting a coffee or a Coke for somebody. You know, they're having a hard time or a hard day. Like, find out what their co favorite, favorite drink is and go get it, it costs you a dollar or two. But, and you can even just, sometimes you just leave it with a note on their desk with their drink, favorite drink, and don't even, don't, it doesn't have to, they don't have to know who it's from. Because it's really not from you, that would be that you're doing something, right? Mm. I think that's really important part. Sometimes you just go put it on their desk with a little note saying, you are seen, you are loved, you are valued. That's how we love the community around us. I mean, these are people that don't know Jesus probably, right? But we can love them well. Those are some practical ways. But I think it's, and sometimes for me, it's really strange things, y'all. So I'm going to say, follow the prompting. If you hear that voice in your head and you're like, I would not do that, do it. Because it's probably something that God, God will bless them through it and you, will not, you won't even understand why. So I would encourage you, yeah, to do those things. Be obedient. I think the challenge here for us is, are we thinking about this with intentionality? Yeah. 
Are we looking at people that are in our path today? Do we have margin to see people in our path today right. with a lens of love? That's not where my heart was when we were leaving the hotel this morning. And so I have to say, okay, right now, would you change that? Right. And I get to say that and get back into chair one. And now, you know what? When we find that barista or that cashier or somebody that looks a lot like the age of one of our sons, I can have eyes to see them through a new lens. Right. I can love them and I am invited to love them. But it's taking that time, not being too busy in our day or too distracted with what we want, Yeah. right? That's the big part of it. So love looks like a lot of things. Madonna's given us a couple of practical tips Regardless of where you're at, if you own a business, you can create an environment where this is the environment. But if you show up in a place where that's not your, not your decision, what is your decision is how you bring you into that workplace. How you bring the kingdom there. Right? So sometimes love looks a lot like honor. What do we mean by this word? Well, let me start with love looks like honor when working with or maybe for a non-believer. How many of that resonates, right? You don't have to raise your hand. I understand what it looks like to work for a non-believer. And that can be a really, really difficult circumstance. And you know the times where that's been true for me? When I've focused on that, it's become much bigger than it needed to be. Are you tracking? Like what we focus on becomes big. And if I focus on I'm working with or for a non-believer, it becomes big. And what Holy Spirit convicts me and says, hey, don't see that as a problem. See that as an opportunity, right? Remember chair one sees those things as opportunity. Chair two sees them as a problem to go fix. Do you know that person knows that you're trying to fix them? And do you know what's going to shut a person down quicker than anything when they feel like a problem to be solved right. or something that needs fixing, someone that needs fixing? That will shut down like that. So receptivity, cultivating, that the film said, you know, you, we get to cultivate the soil. Cultivating the soil, first in our own heart, but then in the environment around us, looks like, do I just care about them? Can I just intentionally say I care about them? If we're part of the family of the kingdom, the kingdom is a culture of honor. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus taught. It's what his team was instructed to do and then did imperfectly, but they were obedient. I love this passage in 1 Peter 2. It actually is almost a namesake chapter for you guys, right? Living Stones. That's right. But I want Madonna to read out of uh, the, the latter part of 13 through 17. If you want to go read the whole thing, please do. But maybe read the last couple of verses there. Okay. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be, be to the emperor or as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <clears throat> Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Honor everyone. Fear God and honor even the emperor. So the kingdom is a, is a culture of honor, right? The brotherhood might be people that look and share a common faith with me, but the emperor might not be. The place where I go on Tuesday might not be run as a faith-based organization. It just might not. But I'm called as a follower of Yeshua Jesus to honor everyone. 
So will I do that? How will I do that? As you read that, I have a little exercise for us. So grab a pen. If you look closely enough, you can find something to honor in everyone. As I'm saying this, I want you to think of the person in your, in your life that this is the, an intense struggle for you. It may be somebody that you go to work and work alongside. It might be someone you work for. Uh, it might be somebody that you lead. It doesn't matter who it is. I want you to write down just a first name. Who do you struggle when you see that phrase, I need to honor them. I'm called to honor them. Surely not that person. Like, what's that name that comes to your mind? Write that first name down for me. Everybody got a name? The Lord brought somebody to your mind, I know. He brought somebody to my mind. So if, if I were to challenge you to look closely at that person, don't look at them right now if they're sitting right next to you, that's awkward. <laughs> if I were to challenge you to look at that person as an image bearer, created in the image of God, what's the one thing that you could say, I want to honor this about them? In fact, yeah, this verse is good for that, right? If you put that name in there, so whoever it is, it's on your mind, is fearfully and wonderfully made, right? They are beloved and adored. They're so important that Jesus died for them. I honor him or her because Jesus does. Mm. Our challenge here is to begin to put this into practice. Mm -hmm. The kingdom's not about talking. It's about acting. That's right. So we're not here with good ideas that we should write down and say, wow, that was a cool idea, and then go right back to what we were doing. We can't unsee what we've seen. We can't unhear what we've heard. And, and we have each been instructed to bring the kingdom where we are going. So what is it going to look like to see that person differently? What does it look like to put this into practice beginning Monday? or the next time that you're gonna in, interact with the person, the first name you wrote down. Maybe it's later today. I'm gonna to ask you to begin asking the Lord, what would you like me to honor in them? A friend and I were having this conversation uh, even earlier this week, and, and the conversation was, bear with me for just a minute, but if I was standing in front of a gang leader in LA. I know I'm near Chicago, so we could say in Chicago, but I'm going to use LA. If I'm standing in front of a gang leader, and, and by the way, gangs are a really powerful organization. Can we agree? I didn't say they were good. I said they were powerful. They have leadership. They get people to volunteer. You're chuckling, but stay with me. They have leadership, they get people to volunteer, and in fact, in many cases, they get people to give their lives. So if I'm standing in front of a gang leader today, and this is my, this is my call, this is my challenge to honor an image bearer of God. Nobody said I need to agree with what they're doing. What does it look like to honor them? Could I authentically say, you are a great leader, are you leading greatly? Can I honor them without agreeing with what they've done? 
And can I actually, maybe God would give me enough influence to challenge them to think differently. I know that might not be your scenario. So what I'm asking you is, where might you have an opportunity to honor someone and also challenge them to think differently? But you know that challenge takes something really, really important. Like if I meet a gang leader today on the street, I have no relationship with them. I promise I don't. So that would have to be complete. <laughs> hey, you found that way too funny. <laughs> You've, I don't have relationship with them. As we are in community with like-minded believers, this is a whole lot easier to do. So as I'm in the context of relationship, Grace plus truth over time equals growth. So let me, let me unpack that, right? An atmosphere of grace, what does that feel like? It feels like I'm forgiven when mistakes are made. This is an atmosphere of grace. When I make mistakes, she is quick to forgive. Truth is bringing to, into the light things that need to be said. You tracking with me? An atmosphere of grace says, I'm going to forgive mistakes. And by the way, I'm not striving to earn love and respect in an atmosphere of grace. I'm not on, on the bike. I'm resting in chair one. An environment of truth brings the word, brings the truth, but it does it in a loving way and encouraging and upbuilding, but a direct way. Time when I think about the context of time, 27 years, she's in it the, for, for the long haul with me. Now, it doesn't have to be, I have to be in it for 27 years to be time, right? It might be six weeks or six months. But in the context of real relationship, this idea of two-way interaction, love given and love returned, this is a lot easier, right? Can we agree that growth in a life group, when we're focused on the same things, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is easier than when I show up in the workplace and I don't have any real relationship with Joe. If your name is Joe, I'm not thinking of you. Joe and I don't have a lot of relationship because we just started working alongside one another. But if I think of honor as the place to begin, could I build some relationship? Right. Absolutely. You're going to have to spend some time together. You're going to have to intentionally spend time together. And mm -hmm. that, by the way, the first mover step belongs to you. Yeah. That's you. That's me. Yeah. Not them. It's not their problem. It's our opportunity. Chair one says it's an opportunity. Now, that might not be how you see my interaction with Joe at first, I might see it as a problem, right? So I may need somebody to help speak a little truth into my life and say, are you seeing that as a problem? Are you seeing it as an opportunity? Do you want to get back in chair one? Do you want to rest with your father? Do you want to be a son so that then you can have the grace and the love for Joe so that then you can co-labor with the Lord in actually extending that grace and love to him? That's what we get to do together, right? And we get to challenge each other, and that is seeing our work as worship. So the responsibility of developing a relationship doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. So I'm going to challenge you on Monday or the next time you see this individual, what does the first step look like for you to begin loving and to honor and to begin building something where growth can be cultivated? Right? Scripture teaches that Jesus was full of grace and truth. I think order matters here. That's right. If I speak truth without grace, that's actually not fully truth. If I have grace but don't speak truth, that's actually not the definition of grace. Okay, I'm not here to theologically arm wrestle, but understand that Jesus had both, and he brought both everywhere he went. Peter one of his team, one of his team that he selected experienced a lot of growth, did he not? Can we agree? He's precocious. I love precocious people. I love them because uh, I am one. <laughs> they challenge. They, they constantly are, are, we're butting heads, right? What did Jesus have to say? Get behind me, 
He did that in a grace-centered way. Now, that might not feel like grace to you. That sounds pretty harsh. But he did it in relationship. He did it. He spoke that truth, and things changed. The atmosphere changed, right? Just like the song we sang this morning. The presence of God is here, and the atmosphere has changed. We carry that with us when we go into the workplace. So we can change the atmosphere. But if Joe feels like he's my project and I'm trying to change him, guess what? That is not going to work. That's a recipe for failure. That's not grace. It's not. And by the way, this is not a formula for success. It's a, it's a reminder to us that relationship is the key. Yeah. So let that be what you take away from this, that relationship is the context for this to even begin to work. Right. If there's no relationship... Go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah, that's, if there's no relationship, then, there, then you can't speak truth to them. That's what does that the feel like? When I speak truth without relationship, what it's does that feel like? Judgment, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel good. No one will, And so think about this in a marriage. If you're speaking truth and you're just nagging on the things that your husband's doing or your wife is doing, then without grace or without a relationship... That doesn't feel right. And do you think they're going to want to change and grow? Probably not, right? What about our children? You know, I mean, we're, we're raising teenagers. We're at the end of that point. Of, and I can tell you that we have, we have to remind each other all the time. Yeah. Do you say that in grace? Do you say that in love? Like, is your heart in that posture? Are you in chair one when you go into the conversation? Sometimes I've told him, I said, I have to put myself in timeout <laughs> first, right, y'all, before I talk to my kids. I don't need to put them in timeout. I need to put myself in timeout because I need to go with the right heart posture because I need to be in an atmosphere of grace and love. When, I, when I'm holding them accountable, when I'm speaking truth into their life, then I've got to have that environment. So that's important in our families and our marriages and with our, with our parents, with each person, individual that we're dealing with, right? If we want true relationship, this has to happen, right? And it takes a lot of time. It takes investment. The relationship with a person that you wrote down might need to begin with this kind of prayer. God, break my heart for yeah. Joe. Hmm. Will you give me eyes to see Joe yeah. the way you created him? That's hard. But it's the work worth doing if we're really carrying the kingdom into our place of work, wherever that is. So let relationship be a foundation upon which this can actually happen. Mm -hmm. And leaders, I'd be remiss to say this. If you lead someone in a place of work, you have double responsibility. One, to create a space for this. You may not, you may not be able to change the entire organization, but the team that you lead, you have influence. You have some responsibility. You have authority. How will you take that and make the environment different? How will you make relationships a high priority? If they were a priority for Jesus, are they a priority for you? I'm talking about real relationship. Philippians 2. Who are you putting first? You or them, we get the chance to have a posture in our heart around relationship. And I think this is, this is not just ominous, but it is weighty, right? It's an opportunity. Will we respond to that call wherever we are? Okay, so we've talked about love and we've talked about honor. In the kingdom, made for community, love and honor are ways that we can bring the kingdom in. And what happens next is this neat thing called shalom. So when I say the word shalom, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Say it out loud. Peace. Right. We're socialized to believe it means peace. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. We're socialized to believe it means peace. But when you go to Israel, you hear this all the time by many, all the people there, by the way. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Shalom means hello. Shalom means goodbye. Shalom means peace be with you. Shalom is one of the most common things they say there. And it has so much more meaning than just peace. Mm -hmm. 
Again, this is one of these words that you could study probably for a lifetime and not fully understand. So we'll take like two minutes. Shalom. If we don't have a Hebraic understanding of this, then I think we miss an opportunity to really understand what it means when we read it in Scripture. I love this author, Cornelius Plantinga. Don't have time, but I love, and I've just taken excerpts from a long definition. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It means universal flourishing. Did you hear that? This is not prosperity gospel here, so be, keep tracking with me. It means universal flourishing. Shalom, if you keep reading his definition, you might go Google him and get the, the full version of it. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Oftentimes we say the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is upside down and backwards compared to the world. But really, it's right side up and the way things ought to be. Shalom is what we should experience. It's the way, the culture of wherever we are, our family, our workplace, our life group, our local fellowship. Shalom is the way things were intended. But we're conditioned and we're taught differently. We're, we're, we're taught that that's not okay, that that's, diff, that's not that's not the norm, and we feel alone a lot of times. Have you ever felt alone in that, thinking you're supposed to be bringing shalom or flourishing? Uh, upside down and backwards is real, and it is something we struggle with, but you're not alone. There is a whole lot of us out here spreading this shalom and flourishing. And we, we'd be remiss to also think of it as peace or lack of striving. So if I think I'm bringing shalom by not arguing with Madon... That's a misunderstanding because our boys are not flourishing in our home if that's the way I perceive that. It's not wrong, but it's incomplete. So when we work in a dental office, when we work in a lawyer's office, when we're a physician or a nurse, wherever we work, if I see it as I'm not striving or I'm not strifing, <laughs> I'm not having a conflict with my coworker, so that must be shalom. And think again. That's just the beginning. How am I helping them flourish? How am I being the hands and feet of Christ? What can I bring into that environment? Because I've seen something different. Shalom is different. I love this, this passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah's writing a letter. He's in Jerusalem. He's writing to the exiles in captivity in Babylon. And I've done a little bit of study recently on this because God just keeps, he's had me soak in this passage. And I have to believe one of the young men that's hearing this spoken, maybe hearing it read, is a young Daniel. Do you know how old Daniel likely was when he went into captivity, into exile? Many scholars believe that he was 12 or 13. If you go read the book of Daniel, that's not why we're here. But if you read the book of Daniel from that perspective, it puts him at about 80 years old when he's in the lion's den. He may have spent his entire life in captivity. And here, he's, he's a Hebrew raised under the one true God. And now he finds himself in Nebuchadnezzar's home territory, right? And here this is being spoken over him and work for the shalom and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. He, this, this group that has been sent into exile, they're being instructed to, to seek the welfare of their captor. I don't know about you, but that's easy to read for somebody else. How about for us, where we go every day? Are you seeking the welfare of your employer? If you're the owner, are you seeking the welfare of the team you, you, you have been entrusted with? Or are you seeking your own welfare? Are you all about profit? Or are you about people? In your home, are you seeking the welfare of your city? as a family, 
or are you seeking your own welfare? Right? This is, a, this is a posture of our heart conversation. Where is our heart and what does it look like to bring flourishing into the places we go? We're not talking about being wealthy. By the way, having traveled all over the world, and I'm sure many of you have too, we are among the wealthy. Regardless of our income level, we're among the wealthy. If you're sitting in this room, you are among the world's wealthy. And it may not feel like that to you, but when you've seen something else, you have an appreciation for what it might look like to, to see all of what we've been given as not ours. We came back from a trip to Africa seven years ago. Our oldest came back and all of a sudden, his room looks like a minimalist. There are big black garbage bags in his room and he's packed up and he's like, can I take this to Goodwill? Can I sell this? Can I give this to somebody? Can we take it somewhere? Like, what are you doing? Are you leaving us? <laughs> like, what, what is happening right now? And he said, I saw people who lived out of a Walmart sack have more joy and more peace and more shalom than I've ever seen in my room. And he's still that way today at 22 years old. Since 15 to now, he's still that way. It's not about giving away the stuff. It was about a heart transformation. He moved into chair one again right there. And by the way, mom and dad are looking at him like, well, crap, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? From the mouth of a child, he saw it. Daniel lived that way in exile. He was resolved, y'all. He was resolved to seek the welfare of that city, to stand up for the one true God, but to love sorcerers, to love magicians, to teach them, to train them. He was put in there. He was overseeing them. I think of that, and in some way, I go, I'd fire them all. That's not a kingdom view. Seek the welfare. Where are you sent? Where have you been sent and where are you being sent? Are you seeking the shalom of that place? I think my clicker may have stopped. Aha, okay. I want to use a little illustration here. I know that some of that might be hard to read, but if, if you look at these vertical lanes as spheres of culture, some of you have probably seen this. I'm not espousing it, but what I'm trying to illustrate here is that culture has lots of different places that we could go, right? Government, family, business, media. You can define these in different ways. Like, where does, where does the medical profession, that's probably in business, I don't know. Does it matter? It's one of those lanes. So let's not get hung up on, on what the lanes are, but let's say they represent culture. And let's say that the body of Christ spans culture. Can we agree on that? Yes. Mm -hmm. So where are you? Where do you show up in culture Monday through Friday or Saturday? You have influence. You may not lead the organization, but you have influence. How are you stewarding your influence? Does the kingdom advance because you show up? And I don't say that in a condemning tone. I say it in a challenge. Yeah. How can you show up and advance the kingdom where you are in culture? That is the, is the court. That is the ball field. That is the, that is the field of play. Say that again. Where do you show up, right? If we're a basketball team, we're in the locker room, we're talking about this today. Let's call this a locker room conversation. Yeah. Can we say that? Mm -hmm. We're in the locker room, but folks, we're gonna leave the locker room. And tomorrow or the next day, you're gonna go back onto the field of play. You're gonna go back to the construction site. You're gonna go back into that realtor office. You're gonna go back to wherever, back into that restaurant, 
back into that local church. You're going to go back onto the field and you're going to have people around you. Some you may lead, some you may serve, some you may be working shoulder to shoulder with. How are you stewarding that influence for the kingdom of heaven? What does it look like to bring the kingdom into that space? Love, honor, shalom. And this just isn't just in your work, right? I mean, next week, this week coming up, we have an opportunity to influence our government. Are you taking that stand? Are you trying to advance the kingdom by doing that? Have you looked into your local, you know, people, representatives and seen who actually stands for the kingdom? That's our opportunity, guys. We have the opportunity to do that. We have the responsibility, I believe, to do yeah. that. As Christians, we have a voice, and are we, are we letting it be heard, right, in government? Are we going into education, and are we talking to the schools about what we want changed, right? I mean, that we have a voice. In our family, are we influencing our kids? Are we teaching them to influence others, right? In business, in media, in religion, in the church, are we, are we being the hands and feet? Are we influencing? Are we sharpening those swords around us? Are we trying to, to hold people accountable, or are we just coming and going? Anybody can do that. But to advance the kingdom, you have to stop for a minute, see the opportunity in front of you. Right? Take that opportunity. Have the margin to take that opportunity to, to sharpen whatever sword you see coming, whatever person you see there. Take the opportunity to, to advance the kingdom, to love them, to honor them, to bring flourishing to them. Right, We have the opportunity. We have the responsibility in each of these areas, not just where we feel like we... It's not just in the church, right? It's not just in our job. It's everywhere. And Joshua 1.3 says it, everywhere yeah. your foot treads. He will give that territory to you. But you have to claim it. You have the authority there, but you have to claim it. And I think there's a a misunderstanding that, you know, let's let's use Madonna and I as examples. I am a leader in our company, so I can change it. I do have a responsibility. I have an authority, but I also have a responsibility. Madonna's a teacher showing up in a school also has a responsibility and opportunity. So maybe give an example of how somebody invested in you or you invested in somebody when you showed up as a teacher. How did this work in the education sphere of culture for you? What did it look like? Hmm. So like honoring me then, right? Like, so let's say I had been out of the teaching for 15 years, so I hadn't taught in a classroom. I homeschooled. That's very different, right? If any of you know that, I'm sure. So the teacher that I was on the team with, it was teaching fifth grade, and she was willing to share all of her lesson plans with me. For teachers, if you know, that's a big thing, right? For her to say, hey, I wanna invest in you. I see that you don't, you're coming in, you're new, you haven't taught in a while, I'm gonna invest in you, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna share lesson plans. Great, that's a lot less work for me, right? Not only did she do that though, so that was that grace, I think, you know, allowing me to just, she's given something to me, but then she spoke truth into my life. She said, hey, I see you're struggling to get your, your math lessons done. Do you know what worked for me? I just had to cut back my English a little bit. I had to save some time in there. So she was helping me with my time management. She was watching what I was doing. She was listening. She was giving me feedback. And she was asking me how things were going. And as we did that, so it was that building relationship with me, right? Over time, she's asking questions, finding out where I'm at, and providing truth. She's speaking to me, saying, hey, that's not going to work. If you want to have more time for this subject, you're going to have to cut this one back, you know? And so she's training along the way. So that is, that's honoring me, right? By giving me the grace, giving me the environment of grace, but then speaking truth in my life. And she knew, I mean, I'm older than her, y'all. I was like 20 years older than her. She didn't have to do that. She was probably intimidated a little bit by that, right? But she did it because she loved me. She wanted a relationship for me. I didn't know her. I mean, at that point, you know, but she cared enough to advance the kingdom, and we are real great friends now because of it, right? The time that she invested in me did develop a beautiful relationship, so. So there's an example for you. You don't need to be a leader. This happened to Madon, and then, you know what, the very next year, she got to do that for the next teacher coming in. It was a great model. It was something that was illustrated right before our very eyes, and by the way, she wasn't using the language of the kingdom. She was demonstrating Christ's love. We got to talk with her about what does kingdom mean? 
It opened a door, and now her world is different, and so is ours, right? This is the expression of being made for community, both when we're like each other, but also being sent into the community and seeking its welfare and making it different. So I hope you have a, an example in your mind. We're going to spend, I think, a few minutes in a... In a in a small group session, in a, in, a, in a table talk, we call it. I think we've got some questions for you. Let me just pray over our time together, if I might, before we get started. So, Father, we just thank you. What a gift today is. You are a gift. And you have, in, in, you have given us so many gifts. There are so many gifted people sitting in this room today. You have entrusted much to us. Now, God, will you show us how to be stewards of those gifts? Stewards of your kingdom, advancing it for your name and your fame. We ask this, Jesus, by your name and by your spirit. Be over this time. Engage us in discussion. Help us to sharpen one another, to call one another to a new standard of accountability of bringing your kingdom into the marketplace. In Jesus' name, amen.